welcome to The Modern Extractor, MJ BizCon Edition Week 2. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. Season 3 wrapped up in August after talking to an amazing lineup of guests who are making moves in the extraction industry. I'm currently in production on Season 4, and yet again, I've got some fantastic guests lined up for you. A couple weeks ago, I headed out to Vegas for MJ BizCon. It was an amazing week, as always, and I got the opportunity to talk to so many of the brilliant people that work in our industry. The massive convention floor showcased some groundbreaking new technologies, and I was running around the floor doing floor interviews with my new remote mics. We'll get to that next week, but first I'd like to play some great interviews I had the opportunity to record from the Good Life Gang media suite inside the Encore. So today on the show, we've got Ken White, founder of White Scientific Consulting, Jay Horton, founder of Genovations, Tom Pickens, CEO of AgLab, and Corey North, founder of Clear Extraction Solutions. These interviews were captured in the absolutely gorgeous two-story GLG media suite at Encore. It was a top-notch production collecting content for brand sponsors, and I'm honored that I was asked to set up my podcast rig in Studio B. I set the scene a bit more on last week's episode, but I'd like to think that you all already listened to that, and I'll spare you a wordy repeat. Thanks again to Lexus Schantz of Solvent Direct and Dustin Powers of Future 4200 for the opportunity to set up shop and record. While I'm on the subject of thank yous, there are a few folks out there that have done really right by me in the last month or so, and I think they deserve some acknowledgement. When I totally dropped the ball and wasn't going to have any swag ready for my booth at the Extraction Expo, Sidco Cat told me to hit up Label My Bud on Instagram because they just might be able to work a miracle. Well, they did. In two days, I had Modern Extractor stickers, t-shirts, and lighters, and I wasn't empty-handed at the Expo or at MJ BizCon. A big thanks to the Label My Bud team. They were fast and responsive and creative and just about everything you want when dealing with a print shop for your brand. Hit them up at labelmybud.com or at labelmybud on Instagram. Another big thanks to Killa12345 of Quality Stainless Parts. He got my logo made out of two-inch stainless tri-clamp, and it is absolutely beautiful. Spot on, looks just like my logo on the show. Killa refers to himself as an extractor's concierge service. You can find him on IG at Quality Stainless Parts or qualitystainlessparts.com. Another shout-out to Jason Bethel at Hose King. I recently had a last-minute job in Florida pop up, and I needed some custom hoses built. I called in the order to Jason on Thursday, and he had all the hoses and pump flanges ready for me to pick up Saturday on my way to the airport. No matter what you're trying to transfer, Hose King has your hoses and your fittings, and they'll make them up custom and quick for you, too. Look them up at hoseking.net. I should tell all you folks listening out there that none of these vendors paid anything to be mentioned. They're just awesome, and you should know about them, and I personally love to deal with people that actually care about what they're doing, and I'd like to see them succeed. So, without any further ado, from Studio B of the Good Life Gang Solvent Direct Media Suite at Encore Las Vegas during MJ BizCon, let's jump into the show. Hey, this is Jason with The Modern Extractor. I'm here in the Good Life Gang media suite at MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. I'm here with Ken White, uh, Hashton Kutcher on Instagram. And uh, this man knows lots of stuff. Why don't, why don't you tell us all about it? What do you, what do, you do these days? How do you, sure, what do you call sure. yourself? 
well, I call myself Ken. Uh, no, I go by Hash and Kusher on Instagram. Um, yeah, mostly in the, the cannabis space as far as doing a lot of new development as far as like synthetic uh, cannabinoid conversion, making some of these new compounds like THC acetate, um, getting involved with THCV and some of the more a little bit more complex synthesis. You're starting from more more raw ingredients and, and I guess more truly synthetic as opposed to like converting a, a plant-based chemical into something else. Um, and then also, you know, there's some some blossoming industry in the psychedelic space. I think there's a, a pretty good movement going on with that. And so I've kind of been dipping my toes into that a little bit and, and getting uh, developing some processes of my own, maybe you know, along the lines of extraction of some active compounds both uh, in the psychedelic realm as well as some of these other functional mushrooms as well, like cordyceps and turkey tail and some of the more popular ones that are gaining some scientific uh, you know, evidence for efficacy. Right on. Yeah, I was just at the Extraction Expo in L.A., as were you, and you had, uh, it seemed like you were talking all over the place sure, yeah, on I all felt. the different panels. <laughs> yeah. So no, what were you great. talking about? Um, that primarily was focused around the extraction of mushrooms, although we did delve into maybe some potential for synthesis of some of the active components in, in psilocybin species mushrooms, specifically in that panel. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as far as the future in that realm, you know, you're if you're talking anything that's consumed edibly-wise, you're, you're probably going to see that coming from the actual fruiting bodies themselves, whether it's directly into the product or an extracted you know those components purified and extracted out and reformulated into a product uh, and then you know we kind of talked a little bit about uh, some of the synthetic forms of that so synthetically making silicin or silicetin or even psilocybin uh, the phosphorylated compound and putting those into maybe vape products as you know as soon as m more legal development you know, occurs in that industry. I mean, it's definitely a lot of people are very excited about it, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, a uh, there's still, you know, everybody transition wants to transition over and treat it like it's just like cannabis, but most you, know, you got to, not. uh, definitely not, not at this stage of the game. Yeah. One of the things that I'm most concerned about, and I voice this opinion often, but I will continue to do it every chance I get is that if it gets treated exactly like we treat cannabis and a lot of the same players that just jump in and try to blow it out, get in the game, it is going to very quickly get outrage and over-regulated and all of that. Certainly. So I think a lot of this is on how the industry decides to frame this and approach it from a business standpoint that's going to make a huge difference in how much regulation gets slapped on it. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, <clears throat> I think one positive aspect that I'm looking at it is, is I think the majority of consumers of this is going to be focused around microdosing as opposed to like consuming amounts that are psychedelic to the point to where it would be a, you know, a societal issue. Maybe people making bad choices, driving. Yeah. You know, we always hear these horror stories of people doing weird things on psychedelics. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, for the most part, unlike cannabis, which you can consume daily and your, you know, it's your tolerance for these compounds is relatively steady unless you're consuming large amounts of cannabinoids, right? But on the on the mushroom side, you you know, your body produces these enzymes that rapidly break them down. So you really can't do macro doses frequently anyway. So you're going to see a lot of people jumping in on the micro dosing scale. You know, that's kind of this whole biohacking movement, maybe like, mm -hmm. you know, creating 
more creativity, but it's at such a low level that you're not actually experiencing any psychoactivity or anything like that. So I think those products are going to blossom and hopefully lead the way for positive legislation that gets, you know, more of a beneficial uh, product for society instead of maybe, you know, causing more problems than we're hoping Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's got incredible potential. It's just, it's, it's on us as an industry to be responsible with the way that we are producing and selling and trying to profit off of right. this, which, uh, you know, it's very difficult to uh, to get, get everybody to play by the same rules. I mean, that's my biggest fear is that people come into this like it's the cannabis industry and kind of ruin it for everyone. I mean, it's so much, you know, once big money gets involved, just like, I mean, cannabis has suffered for that, I, in my opinion, you know. Absolutely. The medical patients have suffered the worst. I mean, they're not even a, they're an afterthought at this point, I would say, unfortunately. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are doing great work in that and they still are passionate about it, which like, thank God for those people because there's so many people that just want to pinch, you know, make money from this. That's all they care about. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's that is the world we live in. And there's not really going to be any way around that. So it seems like there's you have to figure out how to incentivize it in the right way, rather than just saying everybody be good and be honorable and and, you know, play by the right rules. (laughs) That's just not realistic. So there's a way you have to make it in the rule set so that it it incentivizes people to play by the right. rules. Sure. And I mean, I think the biggest mistake the legislators have made even on the cannabis side is that by over regulating it, all you're doing is I mean, that activity is going to happen whether it's in the legal market or not. And I think California especially has seen their black market thriving harder than ever by sure. magnitudes. Yeah. Just, I mean, you, you make it unprofitable for somebody to run something in the legal realm, it's going to just get pushed into the black market because the demand's there. The people want it. Yeah, what do you think they're going to do? Just be like, oh, well, pack it up and go home and do something else? I mean, I've said this multiple times. I think even if you run... A very tight ship, keep your overhead low, do a play by the books. There's almost no money to be made, especially in the California market, if you're doing everything by the book. Yeah, the taxes are so. so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, the overhead there is tremendous. I was just talking to Fernando from Voodoo um, and about the black market side of things. He was the first interview that I ever had uh, where I could actually chat about the black market and how it works and all of that. And he was just open book about all that. And it was a really, really interesting conversation where we got to break down how all that worked. It was a, it was a cool interview. It's nice to actually uh, have people speak candidly about that where right? everyone kind of just, you know, <laughs> call it the traditional market or yeah. some phrase like that. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I said traditional a couple of times. He goes, the black market. Like, <laughs> like, all right, cool. That's the kind of conversation we, we call having. it traditional, not black market. <laughs> yeah. Too many negative connotations. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Right. But I mean, it, it also, you know, back to the medical patients and things like that, it, it creates an environment where people are getting lower quality products as well. I mean, it's if you regulate it properly and don't make it impossible for people to make money, there's incentives to create higher quality products that don't have pesticides in them or mm-hmm. other contaminants that people are consuming in masses, you know, it, unfortunately in the black market or traditional market. Yeah, absolutely. Shh, we call yeah. it traditional. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, about, tell me about yourself. How did you get started into this crazy world that is cannabis and, and psychedelics and all sure. this? What's your background? Um, man, I was a kid growing up and never actually was planning on getting into chemistry, but was always fascinated with, uh, you know, digging through forums and reading all of these guys that were, you know, kind of pioneering this stuff, doing experiments in their home and posting about it on the forum and using, you know, things like 
swim someone who isn't yeah, yeah. me or something like that. You know, it wasn't me who did this, but you know, I used to read I, that stuff on blue light. All the yeah, time. exactly. <laughs> blue light or on, you know, Arrowhead forums, yep. you know, Oh man, I'm used to scavenge Arrowhead's Arrowhead so hard. Those, whoever the people are that put that together, uh, I should be more aware of who they are, but they, they've done a phenomenal job putting that platform out and educating people. Cause I mean, you know, with the war on drugs and, and, and all of that stuff, we are so brainwashed that these compounds are toxic and, you know, such a drag on society and things like that. And then you get opened up to these concepts of like, wow, like some of these psychedelics are, have almost no toxicity in any sort of reasonable dosage that you be taking, even on the higher end of recreation. Right. And so, yeah, you know, it's you, I was, my eyes were open to that. So anyway, so basically, you know, kind of fell in love with the chemistry of psychedelics that way. I had never even consumed cannabis. My first real psychedelic experience was with uh, salvia before I had even consumed cannabis. And uh, that experience, I mean, I was blown away that such a small amount of a compound could so drastically change your perception of reality and your experience of reality. And and it just, I mean, after that experience, I knew that I was going to be in this realm at some point, you know, just, it was something that I was so passionate about is it's exciting. So all of that said, did you, you know, you're interested in all this stuff. Did you decide then that you were going to get educated in all of this because of your interest in, in all of these compounds? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you really want to boil it down, I probably got most excited about science through just like my dad was always interested in that types of type of thing and, and would, you know, always bring home, you know, chemistry kits and stuff like that when I was younger, you know, Bill Nye, all that stuff. I was a super geek on that. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I ended up having that experience and, and had already decided that chemistry was something that I wanted to approach. And so I went to school and got a master's in chemistry and worked in traditional laboratories, worked for Thermo Fisher Scientific, making all sorts of cool uh, compounds all, all in synthetic labs and, and had... So traditional laboratories, not traditional laboratories. In those days, <laughs> everything was either medical or traditional, mostly traditional, I suppose, in that regard. But but yeah, so I had worked for a company called Bend Research, and they did a lot of uh, spray-dried formulations for pharmaceutical companies, cancer drugs, all of that stuff. But the cool thing about it is they had some products that were uh, like a a dry powder inhalable product. And then it got me thinking, I'm like, man, this would be a cool product for the cannabis industry. And I still think it would, if any of you sugar daddies out there want to fund this project, I think, uh, or sugar mamas, uh, you know, I think, uh, there, there are asthma medications that are like this, that are in a dry powder inhalable formulation instead of like a compressed gas, uh, deliverly like, um, metered dose inhaler. These are like a, an, a powder that is a small enough particle to make it down into your lungs and the carrier is, you know, safe to be inhaled and stuff like that. And so it delivers the product without any sort of combustion or any sort of heating elements involved like that, even in a vaporization perspective. So, you know, I, I pitched that idea to an investor and, and did some product development with that, but wound up, you know, market certainly wasn't ready for that, you know, medical type of device or whatever at the time. And so I took over his BHO lab and helped him build that up and was one of the first guys, you know, along with the clear scientists and a bunch of other people early on that were, you know, using our scientific background and experience in the chemistry lab to do like short path distillation in those early days before anybody even really knew about it. Mm -hmm. 
and then you know wound up hooking up with uh, a gentleman named Cameron Forney, who was the president of Select Strains at the time, and and he and I you know became pretty good friends, and and I ended up joining their company and building them up, and you know built a lot of labs for those guys, and they did big things with that, and I decided to part ways and and get into consulting and teaching other people about these processes. Nice. So you're still consulting right now, right? Yeah, that's correct. What uh how what what name do you do it under? I mostly you know, people find me mostly on Instagram as Hashton Kusher, but just through word of mouth, I don't really market the consulting side too hard. There's plenty of work to be had. So I just typically word of mouth, you know, people like my work and refer me to other people and, and so I've just been building building that repertoire from that. Right on. Well, it sounds like you're doing good work. It's, uh, it sounds like you're doing great science, and that's what this industry needs more of. The most, absolutely. More folks with uh, classic training now that we're not just extracting and distilling, which is pretty basic physics, and now that we're getting into chemistry. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of folks that, that know just enough to put that cowboy hat on and go for it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess that's this industry's always been that, right? Absolutely, Down yeah. from the open blasting back in the day. People sure. are willing to give it a shot. Um, which to their credit i one of the things i've been most impressed by the industry is a lot of people coming into this with no real educational foundation that i was fortunate enough to have or whatever and developing these closed loop systems based on real world experience and just winging it you know what i mean with (laughs) highly flammable compounds very true very true yeah tip of the hat to all the guys that kind of paved the way to where we are now Now that we are and where ladies. we are now, yes, and ladies. <laughs> uh, n- now that we are where we are now, um, I, I, I'm very happy to hear that there are people that do have some formal education that are kind of leading the charge in in developing new processes and in processing and all of that. Sure. So, absolutely, thank you for for doing what you do. And yeah, you're uh, very welcome. Yeah, it's my been, pleasure. We've been trying to to figure out how to how to get on mic together for a minute now. I'm glad uh, we need to do it more often. Yeah, I think absolutely. There's so much more to talk about. I mean, we could do whole episodes on individual cannabinoids if we want to absolutely you know? well along those lines what do you think the most interesting one of the the, the new hot hot names sure what, what, what are you most interested in oh I, I think i'm most excited about some of the like thc acetate in particular i think the effects are different enough to make it stand out on its own i think it has a kind of a special the the high itself is unique and in, in that it's almost I wouldn't say psychedelic but definitely color enhancement music enhancement more so than even traditional THC uh, really excited for even some of the non psychoactive ones like THCV which has a whole host of you know blood sugar stabilization and appetite suppression and things like that that are really cool CBC even too is supposed to be really cool for pain pain relief you know one one cool thing that I don't really hear that many talk about how many people talk about is is like for example Tylenol which people consume you know large amounts of for headaches aches pains whatever the actual compound acetaminophen uh, has some nitric oxide pathway activity and and some of these pain receptor activities, but it actually gets broken down into an endocannabinoid-like compound, and that's how it actually does the pain relief and the analgesic effects that it has. So the cool thing, the interesting thing about it is that it's actually exploiting our endocannabinoid system to actually perform its activity. But the shitty part about it and the cool thing about people consuming cannabinoids instead is that these, like acetaminophen, is pretty rough on your liver. It, you have to actually yeah. break it down into something that is 
active, which taxes your liver and your enzymes, the enzymes in your body that are responsible for breaking down toxic compounds, mm. actually have to work hard to make something that is good for your body as opposed to just consuming an endocannabinoid, whether it's psychoactive or not. In the case of CBC, it's not actually psychoactive, but still hits those same receptors. Your body doesn't have to actually break break it down into something that's useful. It's useful right out of the gate and has already been shown to be not you know, toxic at those levels. But that doesn't make Tylenol any money. <laughs> I mean, Tylenol, that's, that's, you know, people consume, what, one, one gram is a maximum strength dose or something like that, and you, you're hungover, you wake up, you take pop two of those babies without even thinking about it. Yeah, right. But if you look at the toxicology stuff, I mean, if you're taking four grams or more, you're already starting to get into some pretty hepatoxicity levels. So Yeah, I mean, hence the... Uh, all of the uh, resistance that we're meeting as an industry, you know, there's there's some big money behind it. I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you yeah. can get your uh, pain relief through something that's non-toxic, but uh, not making any money for the pharmaceutical companies, they're not on board with that. Better keep that one on the under, <laughs> or or pay to get it uh, pushed down under under the noise. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that's where it's all going at the end of the day. Once federal legalization, legalization comes through, these big companies are going to scoop it all up. Yeah, well, right now we're uh, we're all making the push to 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 get it out there, educate yep. folks, and uh, and see if we can't make a difference. Ken White, thank you for coming on the Modern Extractor. Glad to get the chance to get you on the mic. It's a pleasure to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me, and I would love to come on anytime you'd like to chat. Hey, this is Jason Showered, host of the Modern Extractor podcast. We're here at the Good Life Gang Media Suite at MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. I'm here with a, uh, a, a big part of my show, with a guy that taught me how to distill, Jay Horton. Jay in your city on Instagram. Jay, always great to have you on. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Jason. I have to say the same. Um, you know, Really appreciative of the opportunity to even be on your show. Yeah, fantastic to have you here. You're here, uh, kind of working the show, talking to people. You tell tell us all what you do these days. Yeah, so I'm staying really busy with you know obviously the Chemtech installs and a lot of service calls and preventative maintenance calls and even preventative maintenance contracts now are starting to flesh out to where you know people want me out you know bi yearly or even quarterly some of them to do a once over. And so that's kept me really busy. So when I first met you, you were installing my Chemtech Mini 5 that we upgraded with about every piece of something you could strap onto it, almost a KD6, uh, on the smaller scale of these distillation machines. But it was a fantastic machine to learn on. And the quality of it, I still think about to this day. Every part and piece just went together nicely, was machined nicely, everything worked right. And so you've made a career out of servicing these things as well as servicing other things as well, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of servicing the Chemtech units, uh, it's remarkably easy, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, that's kind of my model is I want to be able to teach the user or operator uh, to the point that they don't need us out anymore. And, for example, in Colorado recently, I worked on a five-year-old system we put probably three or four hundred dollars worth of plastic and rubber into it, you know, new seals and gaskets and rollers and things like that. And this thing's functioning like it's brand new. So at the end of the day, it's just a testament to the robust design that you know they've been perfecting over the years. Yeah, they built some fantastic quality machines. 
Uh, I recently saw a post of yours on Instagram where it just looked like the nightmare of all wiped films. Yeah. It was just completely black. All the water solubles, all the sugars just caked on, burnt on. Just re- like something that some people would be like, we got to throw this away. Yep. And then I saw the after picture, which was beautiful. Yep. So th- talk to me about what the process is. Like you show up somewhere, this thing's just hammered and turfed out. Like what, what do you do? Yeah, so I had been on the phone with this client prior to my arrival, and I told them, hey, you know, if you're you're taking in a five-year-old system, there's a few things that you should probably just replace off the bat. They're all cheap, you know, upper EVAP seal, lower EVAP seal, rollers, packing seals for the feed pump, et cetera. And so they had everything on site, and I had a helper. Their on-site technician was there to help me the whole day. So we actually managed to do a literal, complete overhaul of a KD6 system in a single day, and by the next day, we were running distillate on it. Actually, turp strip, because now they have two systems, and they're turp stripping on one and doing a can of cut on the other. Right. And so, yeah, you know, if it was me by myself, it, it might take like a day and a half or two days. But if you can give me a helper, I can come give your entire system an overhaul in a day. And the results of that, I would say, pay for five to tenfold what the cost to have you come out for the day is, I would imagine. I mean, it should be cranking out way better product. Absolutely. And then, you know, considering how cheap all the plastic and rubber is that we put into there at the end of the day, um, it's almost a negligible cost, especially some of the things that we've replaced, you know, they're known to last like two and three years at a time before needing replaced again. Mm-hmm. So some of those things are, uh, you know, going to depreciate over the course of two or three years. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, you, you definitely have to do it. It was one of those things where I kind of backed into figuring some of this stuff out because we didn't really have a chance to talk too much about it uh, based on the the business partners we had at the time and the whole the whole way everything went down. You were you put up with a lot of shenanigans from uh, from our original install, uh, which I think is actually what got you and I a little bit closer on the phone because we were talking back and forth because we really couldn't do very much when you were in town. So it was yeah. more of a class that got taught. I was going to say, I remember <laughs> that. You guys didn't actually have crude yeah. to run. So then, you know, I was on the phone a lot with you guys yeah. when the crude finally came. And nowadays, if you hit me up, I'd be able to just drive down the road and see it because you guys were in SoCal at that time uh-huh. I lived up north. Yep. So uh, one of the things when you were on my full-length episode on distillation SOPs, which if anybody's listening out there and wants to really fantastic SOPs for running a wiped film distillation system or a rolled film system. I highly recommend tuning into that to get yourself dialed in for how to get the best product out of your wiped film. But where I was going with this was we realized after we hung up or after we had uh, cut the recording that we should really talk about cleaning and we didn't talk about cleaning. I still have that footage or that, uh, that recording, but I haven't really put it out. I was thinking maybe we'll do a bonus episode or whatever else. But now that I got you here, we got this fantastic backdrop looking at Vegas uh, with a view of the Strip uh, sitting here in the GLG suite. Why why don't we just talk about it here? So we're going to clean a wiped film machine. We just finished running distillate on it. Uh, There's no more feed material. Now what? Okay, so uh, just for the sake of having an easy example – Let's say that we're at a large scale and we have a system with multiple pumps, right? Perhaps a feed pump going from a tank to a transfer line, uh, perhaps multiple discharge pumps like a multiple stage system, right? For that application, I actually like to start with canola oil first immediately after the run. 
And it's not because canola oil has exceptional cleaning power of any kind. And honestly, any high boiling point vegetable oil will work for this. What it's really for is to displace the oil from things like your feed pump and your residue pumps before you cool them down to a temperature that's safe enough to put your water ethanol mix in, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll run a little bit of canola oil first, and that's mostly just to displace the residue out. So when I cool down to 50C, I'm not dealing with pumps that don't want to pump because my viscosity of my 50 mm -hmm. Celsius residue is now too thick, right? So I'll start it, it's with... It's worth mentioning right now, actually, that after you run this canola oil, you should hang on to that canola oil because there's nothing better for baking with or anything that you need oil with. You, you got it all already infused the best way you can. I mean, that's absolutely true, and it's a great point. And on top of that, you can also distill the cannabinoids back out of the canola oil if you ever want. So you can send it in for testing, see how much THC or CBD you've got in your canola oil, and you can always send it out. Now, canola oil is not going to distill over... So, especially if you're not under vacuum. So you're really just using it to clean out the residue pumps, which are typically the most problematic if we're talking about, you know, things starting to seize up just mm -hmm. because you have 50 Celsius versus 130 Celsius, yeah. right? Because so, a lot of people, you know, that are dealing with really thick residue typically just run a hotter residue temperature to avoid any freezing or clogging in the non-jacketed sections like a stacked connection or an elbow or something, right? Yeah, and then after you cool it off, you've just got plastic, basically. It's brutal. Exactly. So I like to immediately after the run, I'll break vacuum, remove my sensor and things like that because I don't want them exposed to any wandering vapors, right? And I'll pour some canola oil in there just enough to clear out the feed pump and the and the residue discharge pumps, right? From there, you can go directly into water. Might I add, during the canola oil step, you can actually drop the temperature to your water temperatures, and you can feed canola oil through there to actually help it cool down faster, not only displacing the you know residue from the discharge pumps before they, they freeze, but also to help cool the system down. We used to actually keep our canola oil in the fridge so that it would help us get down to temperature quicker. There you go. So yeah. that, that works. And so at that point, you wait till you're at a good temperature for water. You know, maybe 110, closer to 105 is better, a little over the boiling point of water. Then you add your water. You're going to clean the majority of your water solubles out. And while you're adding your water through, you can drop it down to your ethanol water mix. And the reason why I suggest ethanol water is just for safety because, you know, pure ethanol is going to be a lot more flammable than like 70-30 water to ethanol, right? Mm -hmm. So once you've cooled down to a safe solvent temp, now you can add your ethanol water mix and that's going to dissolve any oil that's left over. The water is going to get your water solubles and the ethanol is going to clean out, you know, leftover distillate. The ethanol is what's actually going to clean your, your condenser section where your distillate comes out because it's actually going to distill over and hit that coil and, you know, clean all the distillate off, whereas the water that distills over is not going to dissolve the distillate, just any problems you have with water solubles. But might I add, if you don't have an issue with water solubles, like most BHO guys or most CO2 people, then you don't necessarily have to even do the water step. Maybe you add the water step every couple of months because every extraction method has a potential to pull a little bit of sugars that can build up over time. Mm -hmm. Like I know people who have done BHO for three or four years, never ran water through their system and we took it apart. And sure enough, there was like very light sugar buildup, right? And mm -hmm. I've actually seen one person manage to pull a lot of sugars with BHO and it's because they were doing a soak, mm -hmm. right? So the potential is there. 
Um, but it's not nearly as bad as ethanol. Ethanol, you're going to pull a lot more sugars and you're going to have a lot more of an issue and you're almost certainly going to have to add water into your cleaning SOP. If you don't have a system with discharge pumps and it's just a feed pump, you might be able to go just straight to the water and then the ethanol. And if you don't have discharge pumps or a water soluble issue, you might just be able to get away with the quick ethanol rinse. Mm -hmm. I also want to add that there's a big difference between cleaning for cosmetics. Like, oh, we just want to clean up this last batch because we're about to distill something that's going to be way better color and we want to get that that red stuff off the coil, the Mm -hmm. condenser, whatever versus cleaning for maybe a contamination issue like pesticides. Yeah, much more extensive cleaning. Much more extensive, and you definitely want to add the water step because a lot of the pesticides are water-soluble. So I always encourage people, if you're cleaning for a pesticide problem, then it might be worth it doing you know double or triple what you normally would for cosmetics. Absolutely, yeah. Every few weeks we would do just a really, really long pure water, um, and then follow that with ethanol. I didn't do the the ethanol water mix, uh, which is, it, it's smart. I understand why you're saying to do it, but we would go water and then, and then ethanol um, and just push the ethanol slower so that your, your traps still trap a lot of it. So it wasn't such a big deal for, you know, putting a bunch of vapor out in the room. Absolutely. Is there any, any last minute, uh, you know, ends to that that you'd like to mention regarding the, the SOPs there? Yeah, so drying out. That's a big part of, you know, uh, washing. So in some cases, if you're if you have like a pesticide contamination issue, you might go water, ethanol, water, ethanol. But mm-hmm. I always suggest that you end on alcohol. And and you know, I say alcohol instead of ethanol, because you could use IPA and water as well. But there's that residue, man. And I don't like that residue. Yeah. And yeah. so I t- typically tell people, you know, with I, honestly, food-grade ethanol is what you should finish with. Even yep. if you're using denatured to do the heavy lifting, it's like, come on, let's put a little food-grade through here at the end for good conscience. You can conscience. use it, too. I mean, like, you don't have to necessarily, like, toss that food-grade that you No, you it's, like, so with. clean. It's at the end of the run. There's, like, nothing yeah. in it, you know? Yeah. But anyways, um, always finish with your alcohol so then you can dry out properly. Yep. So I suggest an atmosphere drying for half hour to an hour where you turn the temperatures back up, everything set to 100 C, um, and after it's been an, about an hour at atmospheric conditions, then you can throw the sensor and everything back on and pull vacuum on it for about half hour to an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why there's a range there is because you might see that in the first 20 to 30 minutes, you're already ripping down to minus three and you're like, cool, we're, we look dry. I'm, I'm satisfied with this. But yeah. I always suggest the final step for cleaning should be to change your vacuum oil because you just used it to dry out your system. Yep. Yep, I agree with you there. Also, something that uh, was a little hack that that I got into was having a vacuum pump, like preferably an oilless vacuum pump, that you can pop on there right at the end and pull back on it while it's wet. Yes. As long as you can trap what's coming out or yep. exhaust it somehow, then you can get back into operating mode real fast. Really fast. So I'm actually glad you mentioned that, just because there's a lot of different options out there for pulling vacuum that are oilless at this point. And there's some that are really exciting that are coming down the pipelines, you know, like these oilless screw pumps that have, you know, explosion-proof motors on them. So in theory, you can take them into any classified space and literally clean them out with solvent. So when you think about a pump that's that robust, you're like, okay, cool, let's throw this on, you know, and we can dry with it Mm -hmm. and literally not think twice about just running it for another 20 minutes to clean it out and there's no oil to change. 
Yeah, and then you're just like right back into operating mode so fast. It's it, the, That was the ticket if we had to clean midday uh, for some reason or another, if we were switching batches or whatever whatever reason it was that we wanted to clean and then get right back up into it. Absolutely. And I find a lot of labs that have to do this, uh, especially if their processes in front of this aren't tight, where they're getting a lot of these water solubles or a lot of these sugars, where they're having to water clean in the middle of a longer run yep. just because they're getting all this crap built up. I see it all the time. Yeah, I'm sure. I know guys, it could be 24-5, and they're more like eight hours of running, four <laughs> hours of cleaning, back to eight hours of running, four yeah. hours of cleaning, but it's all because they're at such a scale that, you know, to filter and chill uh, is more of an expense than they expected. So for now, they deal with it at the wiped film instead of up front. Yeah, which, you know, it's not a permanent solution by any means. No, I'm seeing that the membranes really are 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 interesting in the respect of cleaning some of this stuff up. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a really really interesting thing to me with the direction that the industry's headed. So I've been really excited about the membranes and, you know, I I I want to learn more. Yeah. You know, I need I need some more time in front of one of these skids. Uh, because I'm I'm super interested in those, just like I am the hot air extraction. Totally. I'm really yeah. excited about that right now. I just talked to Shatter Girl Jackie in here uh, maybe an hour or two ago, uh, and I know I've been watching your Instagram. You just did some fantastic distillation on her hot air stuff. Yep. That was cool. Tell me about that. So we were running real hot and super aggressive just because, you know, like 120 on the feed tank and 175 on the evaporator while feeding relatively slow you know, in a super aggressive cut, looking for these sugars. Like, if there's sugars in here, we're going to burn them and crash them out right now. And everything was flawless. And so I'm really excited about it. Now, granted, it was a small batch. There's a lot more data to come down the road. But I'm really excited about it. And, you know, like, I, I know people throw around the term disruptive technology, but I genuinely believe this could be disruptive. And, you know, some people are talking about, uh, well, it still has to be winterized. You can't make diamonds. And it's like, look, that's not what it's about. It's no. not competing with 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 craft uh, in any way. You know, it's not competing with live resin and batters or any of that. But just for your average bulk neutral cannabinoid extraction, even if you have to winterize it, you know, for the for the vape cartridge guys, at the end of the day, it's like incredible especially for the guys who have four barrels of ethanol they can extract with. Let's just say mm-hmm. it's like, well, four barrels. With extraction versus four barrels with winterization, that's still game changing for a company. For sure, who has solvent limits. Yeah, and then that's something with- that some of the really big guys forget is that not everybody can have massive amounts of solvent on site every day. You know. Yeah, your work in progress, if you're going to do anything at scale, is far more than four barrels. Like, then you're just hands are tied. Exactly. This is super interesting. And then also the enclosures that are needed for this kind of stuff. You don't have right. to have C1B1 or C1B2. All the classifications. All yeah. And so for a lot of guys actually who already have like an existing extractor and they already winterized their BHO or CO2 or whatever, it's like, man, well, you could plug this in where your extractor's at, except now you're extracting a lot more with no solvent restrictions. Yeah. Super interesting. So we'll, we'll see where it all goes. But honestly, you know, two years ago, I thought that membranes would be further along than they are right now. Same. But I honestly just, I don't think it's that the tech isn't there. I just think nobody's perfected the skid yet. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I, I think part of the, the issue is that a lot of these folks think that they're going to do all the work with the membrane. And if you think you're going to do all the work with the membrane, you're going to end up pissing yourself off. Because to get all the solvent out is slow. 
Mm-hmm. And to get it all the way winterized, it's, it's not as fast as you want it to be. So if you're looking at it from the standpoint of this is, this is going to be my Swiss Army knife and do everything, you're not, you're not going to be happy with it. And I think a lot, of, a lot of the companies are selling it in that respect. Whereas if you look at it more along the lines of this is a tool to have in my line that's going to rip 75% of the solvent off, and then I'm going to use another form of solvent removal to get the rest of it off, then it, it just speeds up your process dramatically. and. Yep decreases the size of your solvent removal tools that you're going to need anyway. Absolutely. That's exactly how I looked at it. I looked at it like, okay, look, if you're extracting and you have, you know, 20 to one or 10 to one ethanol to cannabinoids, you can bring that down to a one to one. Well, guess what? Your falling film is now 10 times more powerful. Do you not do that math? You know, it's like, come on, this still is kind of game changing, you know? Um, So yeah, I'm really excited and you know, nothing, you know, uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? That's what they say. So totally. there may be some exciting technology that you think is just going to like wreck everything overnight. And maybe it, maybe it's going to take a few years for it to be perfected and the right person to put the right skid together, yeah. you know, specifically with the membrane stuff. Because I know there's so many different porosities and things like that. And maybe you need a little pre-filtering right up to that point to really make it get the best out of the membrane so you're not changing them out so often. And yeah. I think, you know, definitely high pressure is a must. Yeah. Oh, and then also, if, if everybody knew what you know and what I know, then yeah, maybe we see that real quick switch over. But you know, you, you end up not realizing how ahead of the curve you are when you're in it every single day doing it. That is true. And then it just takes time for for the industry to kind of catch up and then be like, oh wow, this is ingenious. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I knew that two years ago. Honestly, that's a great point. And I'm faced with that all the time. You know, because everything that we are talking about right now is second nature and it's pretty much all I talk about every day. Right. And so then sometimes I'll get in front of somebody who's new to it and that that kind of gives me perspective where I realize, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. We're like Samsung and Apple competing. <laughs> We're just constantly trying to make the best new tech. <laughs> yeah. Although it's, it's nice to be able to have people that are willing to speak openly about it on the show so that some of these folks that are out there can hear people that talk about it every single day talk about it because this is absolutely like, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna run into this on the trade show floor i mean you might but like whoever you're talking to is gonna get distracted 25 times absolutely you're right and you just bought a 600 ticket at the show i know and it, it's <laughs> tough it's tough because there's a lot of shiny things and i myself behave like a raccoon on the show floor <laughs> i literally tell myself this is where i'm going and on the way something shiny catches my eye yeah, there's so many interviews that I'm like want to do, and I'm we're already on Thursday night. Tomorrow's Friday, so I'm I'm trying as hard as I can not to not to go too big at the uh, at the event tonight, and uh, and be able to make it in there and get more interviews tomorrow. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Let me know if there's anybody I know I can link you up with, man. I'd be For happy sure. to. Yeah, we should talk about it. I, I I still need to get by Chemtech. That's one of the ones on my list. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, That's so, awesome. so I'll, I'll come talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, again. Yeah, or if you want to, do you have Jackie on an interview yet? You should yeah. definitely get her on. Oh yeah, she was in here earlier today, and then oh, cool. uh, and then I'm gonna come by their booth tomorrow as well. Sweet. So, yeah, I keep I have this list. Text me when you stop by to. their booth. I'll break away for sure. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Well, uh, Jay Horton, thank you so much for coming back on the show, and uh, always good information coming out of this one. Anytime, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Hey, this is Jason Showered with The Modern Extractor here at the GLG Media Suite at BizCon in Las Vegas. I'm here with Tom Pickens, the CEO and CTO of AgLab. Tom, welcome to The Modern Extractor. Thank you very much, Jason. 
All right. So tell me about AgLab and what brings you guys out to Vegas. So years ago, we were working with the shuttle program in the space business. And for 21 years, we flew um, experiments to the International Space Station and to microgravity. And we were really involved in the whole NASA program. And when they, when they completely discontinued the entire shuttle program and 150,000 people were off of a job, we were one of them. To do that, they then give, gave us opportunities to go and pick up you know, extra work to keep people working. And we chose to provide a mass spectrometer to the International Space Station for air quality monitoring. And we started to develop what no one could ever do, which was a 24-volt mass spectrometer with 40 watts and 12 pounds. That's all they gave us. But they wanted a laboratory mass spectrometer. And of course, NASA can claim to do anything like that, and they often do. Where they just that's put a the, tall order. They just do that. <laughs> I mean, they just like that's what they come up with. Well, this is what our constraints are. Let's see if industry can do it. So we got the contract. We signed a Space Act agreement with them in about 2006. We started building it, and we delivered that to them about four years later. And then by that time, um, Army um, saw us at the uh, exciting mass spectrometer show, ASMS, and they picked us up under a program for uh, chemical warfare agent detection. So we then modified our system for that, and then um, we got that contract with Patel. And then we then picked up another one with Homeland Security for TSA and then for ECAC, which is the equivalent of that in, in Europe, which is for the um, explosive trace detection at the airport. So we're now worldwide with our mass spectrometer and incredibly rugged environments of airports and cargo areas. And we have you know people that are completely untrained in mass spectrometry operating them. So when the... Uh, the cannabis world, you know, started to evolve in hemp. Uh, we looked over there and saw whether our mass spectrometer could be in situ processing. And uh, we started working with some friends of ours in the industry and started kind of getting ideas about how that would get done. And we have now adapted the system to do that. So we can uh, be inside the process where we're taking samples all the way through. We only take 45 seconds to, to do our full analysis. And so you can be checking your system as you're distilling, and you can see what, how you're doing all the way through it, and you can adjust your parameters, your, your uh, temperatures, your um, flow rates, your vacuums to whatever meets whatever you know, you're trying to make and what you're trying to fraction at. So you're a listener of the show. You know that we get pretty technical on the show. Mm -hmm. This is for folks that work in the lab. Talk to us a little bit about how this works. So you've got a wiped film distillation unit, for example, and you're going to put your sensor inside what part of the system? So the first model that we have is the D2. And so we're using the very same thing we're using at the airports with the swabs that they wipe on your, on your bags. Mm -hmm. And we can, put the, we can introduce the sample onto that swab and then introduce it into the mass spectrometer that way. So where would that go in a in, in a? And that's system? just on a desk right gotcha. next to you. Okay, so that's add, you would you would put it through your gear pump, send out the distillate to see how you're doing. That's right. Gotcha. Okay. Right. And then you deposit the, the you deposit that onto the swab. You feed the swab into the mass spectrometer. Okay, so that's that's system number one. Is there there's is there and one? There's that, a next one that okay. we're developing right now, which is the one that actually ends up sipping from the gases from the from the distillation unit. This is what piques my interest. Yeah, everyone. For sure. Yeah, this is, a, <laughs> this is like a hard one to engineer too. We're working it, and then it ends up wrapping around to the PLC, and then we end up controlling all the parameters on the PLC based on what it is that you want it to make. 
Okay. Okay. I wasn't even thinking about machine control based on the the results, but obviously that's the logical next step. Yeah. Uh, that is that is very interesting. Uh, are you working with any particular manufacturers and and starting to roll this out? We're working with some some of the distillation stainless guys out there, okay. and um, we have a working relationship with a few. Um, we're um, I don't feel comfortable saying which one. Understood. But you talked about them on your show, <laughs> okay. as most of them. And, uh, yeah, and we're working with them to, to be able to put that into that very loop. Okay, yeah, I mean, that would be huge. And then the goal eventually, I would imagine, would be to OEM your, your, your sensors and your systems into other, other people's systems, right? That's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. So right now, what is on the market currently is the swab system, correct? That's right. That's coming to market. We're not quite there yet. We're still going through final testing and building our libraries, which if you're in mass spectrometry, you realize it's extraordinarily difficult to do, but you always, it just takes time. Mm -hmm. So we're in the process of accumulating samples, feeding the system with those samples, comparing them with the COAs, and then you end up building your library off that. So we're coming to the end of that. It's been going on for about two months now. And once we complete that, then we'll put that on a desktop. We'll end up writing a white paper. And what we're all, our whole game is to improve uh, the potencies and yields both. Okay. Yeah, I mean, being able to have instant feedback about what you're doing, make adjustments, and see instant feedback is, is huge. Uh, I know when we were developing our processes, it took forever. Like, you know, we would send the sample out to the lab. If you want to pay the rush fee, you get it in a couple of days. We didn't have in-house analytics. So it's, I mean, this is, this is even a step above in-house analytics. It is in-house analytics, it but, it's, uh, but it's a much faster response time. Right. I mean, HPLC can be used as well, but it has a long time. You know, it's usually a 20, 25 minute an analysis time. So from a price tag standpoint, is this a cheaper way to get your results than, say, having an in-house analytics machine of a, an in-house mass spec or an in-house you know, HPLC, something to that effect? Yes, and it's more effective, too, because it's so much quicker. Okay. So you're not losing it for 30, 45 minutes while you're sample prepping and introducing and you're waiting for any kind of results, or in worst case, you're going out to a third-party laboratory waiting you know, a day mm -hmm. at best. Um, you're actually doing it right there, right then, and those yields that otherwise would have been lost in the middle of that are now being gained. That is fantastic. I'm very interested in this, in, in, in both the uh, the desktop model and, and especially in the uh, the gas monitoring model. Yeah. Um, any uh, any estimates as far as when you may expect the uh, the gas monitoring to be hitting the scene? Uh, we're working on it right now. We have an entire laboratory that's devoted to it. Um, we're you know under the hood with wrenches and. 3D printing, and we're we're we're, at, we're blown and going right. As you should be. I'm guessing that it's probably going to take from now. Um, I'm guessing we'll probably have some prototype working in probably another 90 days. So, in order to implement this, uh, the gas monitoring side of things into an existing system, I would imagine you're going to have to find a manufacturer to work with that's going to make an additional port through the jacket in order to get. To get monitored, right? Very good point, and that's exactly why we're working with the uh, with the distillers. Okay, right on. That is uh, very very interesting. I'm excited to see what comes from it. Tom Pickens, CEO CTO of Ag Lab. Thanks for coming on the Monitor Tractor. Thanks a lot, Jason. Appreciate it.
Hey, this is Jason Showered with the Modern Extractor Podcast, coming at you from the Good Life Gang Media Suite here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We are here for MJ BizCon. I'm sitting down with Corey North from Clear Extraction Solutions. Corey, welcome to the show. What's up? What's up, everybody? Hey, tell us a little bit about Clear Extraction Solutions and what you guys do. Yeah, so we're starting a nationwide consulting agency uh, that can somewhat um, build a little bit more transparent of a platform for uh, companies looking to hire experienced professionals within our industry. So is this, uh, how, how does it work? How would you go about getting on there if you were an experienced professional? Yeah, so... Uh, well, we we have a user base mem- a membership user base platform where you can sign on and create a profile, become a member, and uh, actually uh, submit your uh, certificates of experience or any sort of uh, experience within the industry, and we can help validate that experience and present it to companies that are looking to hire. Very cool. Yeah. So, how do you go about? Uh, actually verifying the folks that get on the platform? Uh, well, we're, we're working out some of the details with that, but we're looking to streamline that validation process by working with some of these certi- certificate programs directly and being able to, to um, work within their uh, database and, and uh, um, you know, help streamline some of that. Right on. It's definitely a service that the that the industry needs because there is a lot of bullshit out there. I mean, yeah. there really is. Yeah. So, I mean, the consultants uh, will be able to have uh, their credentials displayed. Uh, uh, you know, have badges on their profile that that clearly show um, what the scope of their expertise is and. Uh, you know, also it's, we're, we're looking to, to offer more of a, a regionally based, uh, search capability. So, uh, you know, if you're out in Michigan and, um, you know, you're new to this, you're starting up a new lab or something like that. Um, you're able to plug into the platform and see, you know, be able to search within that area of, you know, what extractors, what manufacturers are actually in my area and are looking for work. And you can contact them directly through our, our program that we're putting together. Understood. So a lot of these programs that you use online, I mean, like I, I utilize Fiverr for a lot of stuff sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and so they do everything in their power to keep you from contacting someone directly. Is that like, is that just kind of a necessary evil when you run a service like this to like keep the conf- the the conversation going through your website or is there how does that work? Yeah, so uh, we're just trying to act as the the liaison in that process. You know, we're just trying to make the points of contact a little bit more direct, okay. and you know, um, having your your contact information actually listed on the your profile is more of a premium part of the service. Okay. That makes sense. <clears throat> um, the base level, the 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 free profile, um, everything is kind of uh, delivered directly through our or middleman through our. I mean, you have base. to pay wallet to make it a business. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to get circumvented constantly. <laughs> it's the only way that. Yeah, it's the only way. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's you know definitely not our only monetary channel. Uh, we are also setting up. Uh, 
um, an e-commerce portion of the website with oh, consumable great. products, with uh, um, equipment and mechanical uh, services and companies involved as well. Uh, we have this plugged in with a lot of the major players in the industry, in the extraction and manufacturing industry. We have a set of core consultants that have been involved uh with the extraction industry for a long time, uh, Murphy Murray, Dread Pirate, um, a lot of these big, huge, heavy hitters are are plugged in and, and ready to have this uh, built up and, and established. Also, that's so, great. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta get the people that are leading the charge on mm-hmm. uh, advancing things on mm-hmm. your side. It sounds like you definitely have. Um, so let's say that I am a potential employer and I want to look in my local region to see who there is to hire, uh, for let's say a a part-time thing. Maybe I need three months worth of processing work sometime close after harvest. How would I go about doing that? Yeah. So we have, a. a a search engine within our, our website, um, pretty much like almost like how Yelp works. You know, <laughs> you're you're in a new area, you're trying to find somewhere good to eat, and uh, you uh, plug in, hey, I'm looking for a, a distillate extractor to, to join our team and help us refine our cart making process. Um, you'll be able to type that in. Uh, you know, it's going to pick up where you're located and it's going to work off of that and um, pick up the people that are reg- regionally in your area. And it's also going to uh, highlight a lot of the premium accounts that, that are a part of it and, and uh, give you other options uh, within the industry also. Um, we want to uh, be able to highlight the, like I was saying, the scope of your professional status and your experience level. That is great. We definitely can use that. I've I've run into many a consultant that I am I am absolutely shocked that they could call themselves a consultant. Yeah, but, uh, you know, in an they're, industry, they're the con consultants. <laughs> yeah, they you said that before. They they definitely <laughs> con their way into their position. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, mean, with an industry as new as this, it makes sense that there's going to be people that are looking to exploit the new money coming in. And, yeah, and it's it's easy to do. You know, if uh, what are the, the, some some adage about a fool separated from his money, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of money pouring in, so I'd imagine that there's always going to be the, the the grifters that come on by. Yeah, that or you know, everybody knows somebody, so they want to plug them into that position. It's like so many places they hire based on who they know rather than what they know. Totally. And so we're we're trying to eliminate a lot of that, get some of the bullshitters out of the game. And um, and promote a lot of the people that are doing the you know pounding the pavement and doing the, the legwork to actually advance themselves. Um, so yeah, that's that that's one of our huge pushes is we want to take some of the guessing uh, out of seeking experienced help within the cannabis manufacturing sector. Right on. Well, uh, I appreciate you stopping by and talking to me for a minute. Yeah, Corey definitely. North, Clear uh, Extraction Solutions. How do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold yeah, of you? Yeah, uh, stay plugged into our IG. It's Clear Extraction Solutions. Uh, DM me, uh, you know, to get more details. Uh, in December, we're looking for beta testers. Uh, if, you know, you want to be a part, if you want to be a, con- a contributor, uh, please reach out to me directly. It's, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited for you. Well, thank you for joining me on The Modern Extractor. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. 
All right. Thanks again to Ken, Jay, Tom, and Corey for taking time to sit down with me and record some great interviews. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on this show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you're digging what I'm doing here on the show, please leave me a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. The better ratings and reviews the show gets, the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. Stay tuned for next week, where I'll be airing my floor interviews that I recorded running around MJ BizCon. Season four will be out November 23rd. Look forward to that one. We'll be back at it with more full-length episodes from guests on the cutting edge of the extraction and cannabis lab science industry. A big thanks to Isada Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout-out to the new fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into The Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon.